We all want to feel like we belong, but sometimes it's challenging to find connection in our living spaces, neighborhoods, communities, and relationships. On Home Where You Belong, we're here to change that. Hear stories of people from different backgrounds and from different places and how they've been able to feel more at home to help give you a renewed sense of connection, belonging, and optimism. Welcome to Home Where You Belong with your host, Chip Alford. Hey, Home Where You Belong listeners. I have a great deal to share with you. Audible is now offering a 30-day free trial that allows you to explore its incredible selection of audiobooks and podcasts across every genre, from bestsellers and new releases to memoirs, mysteries, and thrillers. The Audible app makes it easy to listen anytime, anywhere. For details, visit audibletrial.com belong. That's audibletrial.com belong. Now, on with today's show. When we can learn to respond to conflict in ways that um, create connection rather than disconnection, for me, that's the most powerful way to create the home that I want. Laura Reardon is on a mission, creating more peace in the world, one family at a time. A certified child behavior specialist and parenting coach, Laura helps parents of deeply feeling kids navigate emotions such as anger and anxiety towards calm and conflict resolution. A former nanny, home daycare owner for more than two decades, and the mother of two kids of her own, Laura knows a thing or two about working with children. She doesn't rely on her personal experience alone, however. She's committed to lifelong learning. In addition to her degree in psychology from Northeastern University, she also earned a certification as a child behavior specialist through the early years, completed parent coach training with Happily Family, emotion coach training with the Gottman Institute, and anxiety coach training with the Institute of Childhood Psychology. Through her coaching services and personalized parenting plan, she helps parents create more peace in themselves, more peace in their kids, and more peace in their homes. Laura, welcome to Home Where You Belong. I really appreciate you taking time to be with us today. Thank you very much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Great. Maybe just to get started, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe how you got interested in becoming a parenting coach? Yes, um, my inspiration for sure comes from my own personal life experience. I have two children. They're both grown now. My daughter is a freshman in college and my son has just graduated from college and living in his first apartment. Oh, great. Uh, Creating the home of his own, right? (laughs) I I know, right. (laughs) A parent's dream, maybe not a mother's dream. I don't know. <laughs> I know, yeah, it's, it's a transition, right? Yeah, yeah, transition. So, but yeah, in their growing up years, um, they um, both in their own ways and in their own times struggled with big emotions like anger and anxiety. And as a parent, I found that really um, overwhelming. And I, didn't always know the best way to help them, but what what my underlying uh, intention was is that I wanted to help them learn how to 
respond to their emotions in effective ways so that we could create peace in our own home and also so that they would have the knowledge and the skills in their future homes to create peace in their future relationships. And so I felt passionate about it, but I didn't quite know how to help. And I tried all the traditional parenting strategies that were all taught, such as um, consequences and rewards and ignoring um, unwanted behaviors, skill building, um, and none of it, and none of it helped. And so that was my inspiration for learning more. And that's when I started you know, my journey um, towards where I am now, towards the work that I do now. And that was when I, you know, went and got my certification as a child behavior specialist, which was really just step one in a, a long path that led led to the work I do now. Yeah, I you've done quite a bit of learning. I, I read in your bio, and I mentioned that in the intro just a second ago, but did you kind of map out a plan or did that just kind of evolve as you realized, oh, I need to expertise in this area. Maybe I'll go here. How did you kind of figure out what, what is it I need to kind of educate myself in this area? Yeah, I put a lot of uh, effort into research um, in terms of what would be the most effective way for me to learn what I wanted to learn. Um, I even considered going back for my master's degree, but after doing quite a lot of um, research, I identified a certification program that seemed to teach what I wanted to learn. Okay. And so I started there. But like many journeys, once you learn something new, it you know, you then come to a greater awareness and you want to learn more. And so I'm definitely a lifelong learner and you know, my certification as a child behavior specialist led to my certification as an emotion coach and then a childhood anxiety coach. And um, then I realized I wanted to help other parents. And so I got trained as a parent coach. So definitely an organic process. Yeah, it sounds like a lot, a lot of learning there. I like your commitment to continual learning. Well, I'm not a parent myself. I, you know, I've definitely been in homes where, you know, children are, are throwing their tantrums. I threw, threw some myself, I'm sure, back in the day. Drove <laughs> my mother crazy, I'm sure. Was there a particular incident that kind of made you realize I need to do more work in this area? Or was it just kind of over time you realized the things that you were trying weren't working? Or or what kind of things would you try when your when your kids were experiencing some of these challenging emotions? Yeah, as I said, you know, I started, I, I um, you know, I kind of did all the things that were taught to do. But um, what I've learned is that the reason that all of these traditional parenting tools are not effective in teaching our kids how to be with their emotions uh, without lashing out or shutting down and, and responding in more effective ways and, and, and resolving conflict is because we are not, um, our children are not born with emotional regulation skills. They're born with all their emotions, but no <laughs> ability to manage them. And, you know, when I first started off, I was focused on consequences and rewards. And I've learned that although those can be effective in controlling our children's behavior in the short term, they're not effective in the long term for two reasons. One, because the reward or the, the consequence 
needs to keep getting bigger and bigger until one day they have no power over our children. And also it's a missed opportunity to respond in ways that teach our kids um, more effective ways of responding. When we respond to conflict by trying to control our child, our child grows up with no other way of resolving conflict. They too then in their own relationships will try to power over or control the other person as the only way they know to resolve conflict. And so um, another common parenting strategy is to ignore unwanted behaviors. But what happens when we ignore unwanted behaviors is one of two things, depending on our child's temperament, either um, they'll actually become more reactive in response to our ignoring and trying to get our attention and their behavior uh, or their emotions just keeps getting bigger and bigger, or our child will learn that their emotions are not safe with us. And so they keep them inside and they Mm. get stuck in them and they feel alone in them. And then they end up exploding out in, in other, in other ways. And so that's not effective either. And then I thought I was really, you know, on the cutting edge and brilliant when instead (laughs) of responding with consequences, rewards and ignoring, I moved to the stage where I started responding by, you know, skill building, Like, okay, so um, you're struggling to manage your emotions. Let me teach you skills for calming yourself. And then I'd get so frustrated and worried when the next time there was absolutely, you know, no change. And, um, you know, my kids weren't able to take those brilliant skills that I taught them and, and implement them the next time. And I've come to understand that the reason for that is because in, because emotional regulation is uh, something that develops over time. Um, And for some of our kids, especially, for example, our deeply feeling kids, emotional regulation is going to be more challenging and it's going to take more time to develop. And so until our child has developed emotional regulation, they are not going to have the capacity to access and utilize the tools that we teach them. So it turns out that's not an effective way to build emotional regulation in our children either. You you describe yourself as a child behavior specialist who specializes in emotional regulation. Uh, You've kind of talked about a little bit, but what do you mean exactly by social and emotional regulation? Yeah, that's such an important starting place. My definition of emotional regulation is our ability to be with our emotions as they rise up in us and as they recede, um, and then to respond with curiosity about what are our emotions communicating to us about our needs and what would be the most effective way to get our needs met. Okay. That's a, that's a great definition. Why is it so challenging, do you think, for for people to get a, a handle on our emotions. And I know that's not limited to just to children. Why, why, why do you think that is so challenging? It's so challenging because of the way our nervous system unconsciously affects our behavior. When we're feeling okay, when we're feeling um, comfortable uh, within our body and within our emotions, 
we, we are in a state of emotional regulation, meaning we're okay. able to act in balance with our emotions and logic. We're able to act as our best selves, which can look like feeling calm and open to listening and learning and problem solving. We're flexible. But when we don't feel okay, when we feel uncomfortable emotions, when, and, and when we feel uncomfortable um, and, and emotions, I, sh I should add in at this point, emotions start off as sensations in our body before they travel to our brain where we can identify words to identify that particular feeling. So sometimes it starts as a body sensation, or sometimes it starts as a, a you know, we don't have awareness in, in, until, you know, we've identified a word and we have the awareness. But either way, when we don't feel okay, this can trigger our fight, flight, or freeze response because our fight, flight, or freeze response is a critical life-saving response when we're faced with danger. But the problem sure. is, is that our brain doesn't know the difference between the uncomfortable emotions that we experience when we're in danger compared to the uncomfortable emotions that we experience um, in everyday life. And sure. so what can happen is when we experience those uncomfortable emotions, it can be our automatic and unconscious reaction to lash out or to shut down in response to a perceived threat. And so for those reasons, emotional regulation is really challenging. And added to that, you know, again, as kids, they're not born with that capacity. Uh, it's not developed in their brain yet. And even for us as adults, many of us were not raised in homes where we were our emotional regulation was supported and when, where we were um, taught skills for, you know, responding to our emotions in more effective ways. And so for all of these reasons, it's challenging for our kids, but oftentimes in parents, you know, when their kids are experiencing big emotions, such as anger and anxiety, it can trigger the same in them. And in so them, it's really yeah. hard for them to manage their emotions and behavior as well can become kind of like a, a cycle, right? Between Exactly. Two. Yes. A vicious circle. Well, I know in your coaching, um, it's Laura Reardon coaching, right? And That's right. Tell yeah. us that, uh, is it like the tagline helping parents grow? Yes. Yeah, Laura Reardon like, coaching, helping parents grow. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Because it's not just about the kids, right? It's about helping the parents develop skills to, to help the kids, right? Exactly. Um, well, in, in your coaching service, from what I understand, you, you've worked with people, you know, all over, you're based in Massachusetts, you said, but you deal with uh, people across the U.S. and you've even had, I think, international clients, right? Yes, that's correct. Okay. And you've dealt with um, parents of, of kids of all ages, from, from toddlers to uh, teenagers and, and maybe even a couple of grown children. So I'm just curious, what are, what are some of the most common complaints or challenges that, that parents come to you? What, what makes them seek you out in the first place? Parents seek me out when they're struggling with behaviors at home that might look like, um, you know, meltdowns and misbehavior. Kids are, um, you know, hitting, kicking, throwing, screaming, um, laughing at the parents when they ask them to do something, running away, um, or, you know, acting out, uh, you know, for older kids, it might look like um, disrespect and defiance, for example. Um, and oftentimes, um, parents 
will come to me because um, they're struggling with sibling rivalry, because of course, all of these behaviors can, can show up um, in our relationship with our child or in the children's relationship with each other. Absolutely. Well, I know you can't, you can't give us a, a complete parenting counseling session, but what can you just give us an idea? What are some things that you try to help kids and parents to better manage their emotions and stressful situations? What do you talk with them about to um, kind of get at that issue? Yeah, I've identified a three-step plan to support parents in building their emotional regulation and a three-step plan for um, supporting our children in building their emotional regulation. So I'll speak to where it all starts, which is you know, building our, our own emotional regulation as parents. And so step one is environment. Um, Step two is a tool that I created to support us when we're feeling triggered in the moment. And step three is, um, you know, if we keep losing it, how we can reflect um, on what's happening and figure out ways to become free from that. So you know, I'll just start by acknowledging environment, you know, our environment is our way to proactively set us set ourselves up for success. Because if we think of our feelings, as communicating information to us about our needs, and when we know that our big emotions can trigger our fight, flight or freeze response, then it makes sense that when we create an environment that supports our well being, that that is going to support our our regulation. What are some things that you can do in your environment or or what are mistakes that people make maybe in that space that are not helpful? Does anything particular come to mind? Yeah, the most important thing is to start with the basics. And the basics are things like, are we getting enough sleep? Um, Are we getting enough movement? Are we getting enough connection with adults with whom that, uh, with whom we can laugh and have fun, you know, are we getting enough downtime? Are we having opportunities to do things, um, create space in our life for things that energize us? For some of us, that could be downtime for others. It's, you know, something different. And so, um, the challenge is that as parents, we almost never (laughs) feel like we can, you know, get our needs met. Oftentimes it's just surviving the day. So I think that it's interesting because when my children were young, we didn't have this knowledge or understanding of how, you know, the the benefit of um, meeting our own needs didn't just benefit ourselves, but it also benefits our children and all of those that um, we have relationships with. And so for me, I was that martyr of a parent who <laughs> never, you know, th- thought that the, you know, the, the definition of success as a parent was always putting my children's needs first and really never creating space for my own. And we, we all know today that that, that's not a recipe for success. But what's interesting is parents today almost have the opposite challenge because there's so much awareness and communication about self-care and the importance of it. And parents are hearing the message, okay, I have to take care of myself. 
And that's a really important part of me being a parent. But now that's just, you know, kind of like adding on another stress, another thing on the to-do list. And it's almost making me feel more overwhelmed. Sure. So we can we can have that awareness and we can create space for it as we can. And we can, you know, having the understanding of the why it's important can support our ability to create some space for that. And, you know, the most important thing at the end of the day, the most important self-care that we can provide to ourselves at the end of the day is compassion, you know, compassion for when we lose it and compassion for when we, you know, land in bed at the end of the day. And we, you know, we didn't get to all those wonderful things that we wanted to do. You know, how often do all of us end the day not having gotten to that exercise or that meditation or that, you know, walk outside, you know, we all have these good intentions and sometimes life gets in the way. So like everything in life, it's about creating balance. That's great. That's good advice. So you've talked about environment. Talk to us a little bit. What was the second step again, or the second area and talk a little bit about that? Yeah. um, Step two is um, an in the moment tool for when we feel triggered and it's called the ABCs for keeping calm. A stands for awareness. You know, it's when we have awareness that we're feeling triggered, that we're feeling uncomfortable body and sensations, that we're experiencing uh, big emotions, or even that we're tuning in with our thoughts. We recognize that we're having difficult thoughts. These are all clues to us that we're feeling triggered. And so when we don't have awareness, We can go straight to fight, flight, or freeze without any awareness because it's happened so quickly and, and, and we can just automatically go to fight, flight, or freeze. We can just go straight to lashing out or shutting down without even seeing it coming. And so when we can practice building our awareness of our internal selves, it's when we can have an opportunity to make a different choice. And so once we have that awareness, we can go to B, which is for breathe. And, you know, we can take that deep breath in and we can have um, a nice long exhale. And sometimes it's one breath and sometimes it's 10 breaths and sometimes it's 20 minutes of breathing, (laughs) you know, before we're ready to go on to that next step. But the idea is, is to identify a coping mechanism that helps you be with those uncomfortable emotions without lashing out or shutting down. And so for some of us, breathing is a really effective tool. For others, breathing is not effective. And so we can become curious about what would support our ability to tolerate our emotions, you know, in that moment. Okay. And then C is for calm your thoughts, you know, Once we're um, calm enough to reconnect with our thoughts, then we can consider, are we having a a catastrophizing thought? Are we having a thought that, you know, everything's not going to work out? Um, You know, my my kid's going to grow up and, you know, end up being divorced or, you know, I'll never have a good relationship with my child. When we have these really long-term catastrophizing thoughts over something that's just happening in the moment, we can recognize that and we can consider a more calming thought, you know, like everything's going to be okay. It's not the end of the world. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe everything's going to be okay. And um, it's really helpful to give this some consideration 
outside of the moment in a calm time to identify that mantra, you know, to identify those common thoughts that we have and to identify um, that go-to mantra that we can say to ourselves instead, you know, that calming thought, because, you know, when we're feeling triggered, it's not, you know, it's, it's not a time when we're going to have that ability to, to do this. But if we do this work outside of the moment and we practice using it inside the moment, then it can become automatic over time. I mean, it sounds like great advice. I'm just thinking though, okay, I'm in the, I'm in the supermarket or grocery store with my child and they're throwing a screaming tantrum concern for them. I'm embarrassed. Maybe I know it's maybe upsetting other people too. You've talked through what parents can do. What are some things you can do with that child maybe in that situation to hopefully make a positive difference in a, in a challenging situation? Yeah. So the most effective thing that we can do when our child is experiencing big emotions and um, when those big emotions are triggering big behaviors is we can offer something called co-regulation. And co-regulation is essentially our ability as parents to recognize that the behavior, our kids, um, our kids' behavior is dysregulation as opposed to purposeful behavior to get their way. And as parents, we're we're taught that. We're taught that our our kids um, act out to get their way and it's our job to control them. But as we learn uh, more about parenting through the lens of neuroscience, we can understand that in most cases, behavior is actually an automatic and unconscious reaction to their big emotions, or um, they just don't have the capacity in that moment. They Maybe they skip their nap or they're, they're due for lunch and they haven't had it yet. And when we can recognize our kids' behavior as dysregulation, then we can respond by helping them return to regulation. Because when we help our kids return to a regulated state, they're going to have, they're going to be biologically capable of acting in the ways that we want them to act. They're going to be capable of um, listening, of, of being flexible, learning, problem solving, communicating effectively. And when we have the expectations that they can do that in a dysregulated state, we're all setting ourselves up for failure. And so our first goal is to help our child return to a regulated state. And that can look really different depending on the child and depending on the situation. For example, if the issue is behavior and our child is, you know, acting out, it could be a younger child hitting, it could be an older child being disrespectful for their uh, with their words. If we can look at that behavior through the lens of how our nervous system unconsciously affects our behavior, then what we can do is start with holding the boundary. You know, of course, we don't let our child hit. We don't let our child hurt anyone physically or emotionally. So we start by holding the limit and then we can recognize the big emotions triggering that big, big, big behavior. So what that can look like, for example, would be, let's say our child 
grabbed from somebody. We can respond with, it's not okay to grab. I won't let you grab. And I know how hard it is to wait. You really want that toy. So we're both holding the boundary and we're recognizing the big emotions driving that behavior. And when we do that, our child feels seen and understood because we're responding by communicating the message you know, you're not a bad kid. You're a good kid who's struggling in this moment and uh, doesn't yet have the capacity to manage your emotions and your behavior more effectively. And I'm right here with you as you're learning uh, and growing. And when we respond in that way, that is a way that helps our child feel safe, both physically and emotionally with us. And in feeling safe physically and emotionally, it supports their turn to their return to regulation. And then once they return to regulation, then we can consider if there's a problem to be solved. In this case, for example, it's an opportunity to um, teach our child more effective ways to respond when they want a toy. And when we respond with co-regulation over and over again, we both get the short-term benefit of helping our child to return to a regulated state in which we can realistically expect the behaviors that we want to see in our children. And it's when we respond in that way over and over again that our child um, is able to internalize and conceptualize strategies for calming themselves. And this is called embodied learning, you know, learning based um, not on our brain, but based on our body and our feelings. And it's the most effective way that we can support the development of emotional regulation. I'm guessing that doesn't necessarily happen the first time you do it, right? You have to use that kind of technique over and over or am that's I wrong exactly in that? right. And, yeah. and that's the beauty of co-regulation is that our goal is that long-term they'll develop their own emotional regulation such that they will be able to do what we're practicing as adults, becoming aware, oh, I'm feeling triggered. Hmm, what's a coping mechanism that can help me be with this feeling? And what's a way to respond more effectively? So once they've developed emotional regulation, we can work towards building those skills. But we recognize that they're not born with the capacity to do that. So instead of teaching them skills and expecting them to implement those skills independently the next time, we can help them. We can co-regulate. We can help them return to a regulated state over and over again, you know, until they're able to uh, learn to do that themselves. And again, that, that serves two purposes. It helps create the calm in the moment that we want to create. And it's the most effective way to support the long-term development of emotional regulation. Well, it sounds like it's kind of a combination of teaching and modeling the behavior that you want to see, right? Absolutely. As you were talking, I was, you know, we're, I guess I was kind of picturing younger children then in the situation we were talking about, you know, maybe acting up in a store or whatever. But what what about like a teenager that's that's being disruptive and disrespectful? Are, do the same? Do you use the same principles? Is it just maybe? what that look like may look a little different or how do you compare dealing with two different situations based on the age of a child? Does that matter? 
Yeah, I mean, it's the same principle and and you would just apply it differently. So for example, with an older kid who is, um, let's say they are speaking to us in a really disrespectful way, we can trust that they're not feeling good in that moment. And so we can start by setting a boundary. We can start by saying, it's not okay to speak with me that way. And I can see you're really feeling upset about something, or I can see you're feeling really stressed out. Let's both take a deep breath. Let's try again. I want to hear what you have to say. Talk to me. And so again, we've set the limit and we've recognized the big emotions driving the big behaviors, which helps our kid feel less defensive. because they're feeling seen and understood. Again, they're not a bad kid. They're a good kid who is struggling. And if that's, you know, that might be a one-time thing that might be, or not necessarily one-time thing, but an occasional thing, you know, like, oh, our kid really had a tough day or a tough experience, or they're just really stressed out or again, need to eat. But if, for example, um, we have a, a reoccurring problem. You know, every time it's time to turn off the video game and start homework, we get into a real conflict. That's when we want to recognize um, that there's an ongoing conflict and we want to, in a calm moment, you know, at a later time, we want to have a problem solving conversation. And this is a way to, again, teach our kids more effective ways to get their needs met. It might be tempting to say, you know, when it's time to turn off your video game, do it or no video game for a week, period, end of the day, that's it. Um, And again, it's a a missed opportunity to teach more effective ways of problem uh, solving problems that we can use in our current family and that they can um, use in their future families as well. So that could look like Um, It's really helpful to start by asking our kids to tell us about what's happening from their perspective, because when we start by creating space for their feelings and needs, again, we lower their defenses and they feel again, uh, seen and heard and understood. And then, then we create an opening in them to then hear what's happening from our perspective. So we can start with curiosity. We can start with asking questions. We can start with listening. And then we can say, okay, I get it. That makes sense. And then this is this is what's happening for me. And again, in, in, in starting with creating space for them, it creates an openness in them to then creating space for us. And then we can ask them, you know, what, what would be a solution? How can we, you know, how can we make this work more effectively for both of this? How how can we, you know, what's a plan? What's a plan for making this work for both of our needs? And um, when we do that, we do a lot of great things. We, first of all, are again, creating connection, which is keeping their defenses down. We're creating motivation because whenever our kid has a say in how we solve the problem, they're going to be more likely to participate in, you know, actually implementing that plan. And then also we develop confidence and competence because they learn to be, they learn to be problem solvers. And as I was listening to you talk, I'm thinking it's also helping teenagers learn how to express what they are feeling and what, you know, sometimes they may not even realize why they are so upset 
right? Yeah. I mean, we, we as adults sometimes feel that way too. So, yes, it's an opportunity to be reflective and to teach them that habit of reflecting, you know, after, after a conflict, after they lose it, you know, again, we can reflect on hmm, what what's happening and how can we make this work better? As I've talked to, to other friends and family members who have kids or teenagers, particularly one thing I hear is that they have a hard time just getting to talk or open up at all. How can some of the things that you're talking about maybe encourage a teen who you know, is, is doesn't want to be verbal or talk and maybe open up a little more? I think one of the most effective things that we can do is just create space for us to be in the same room together. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes I would say to my kids when they would not want to, you know, talk to me, I would just say, that's okay. I just want to share some breathing space with you. And it was like a joke. They kind of knew I was just <laughs> being goofy, but, um, but, you know, for an example, and, and obviously this is just going to look different in every family and for every situation, but what worked for me in my family is I, I was always, you know, like every mom, a, 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 a busy mom. I, um, you know, once my kids were born, I, I had been, you know, working in downtown Boston and, you know, you know, li living that life. And when my kids were born, um, I started running an at-home daycare and then eventually became a nanny. But whenever I could, whenever my kids got home from school, I would often be able to arrange my schedule so that I would be there. So I always joke that they must have thought I never did anything but sit in that chair because <laughs> I would always when I heard the bus or in later years there's mom in her chair there's mom in her chair <laughs> and you know but at least they could come to depend on that a little bit I guess yeah exactly it would it was a it was a routine that they could count on that I okay. would be there and so some days they would arrive home and they would not want to say anything but that's okay, because my goal in that moment was not to pepper them with questions, which I did in the early years. And I thought that that was maybe the way to create connection. But I learned that a more effective way to create connection is to be there for them for what they need in the moment. And sometimes what they need in the moment is is um, just to share breathing space. And sometimes if they know they can count on you to always be there, they're going to know in those times when they want to talk that you're there. You know, sometimes it's because something fun or exciting happened, or sometimes it's because something scary happened. You know, I'll never forget the day that they came home and they, they had had a lockdown at school and it was a, it was a scary one. And um, yeah. it wasn't a drill. It was, there was a real situation happening in town. There were helicopters flying oh um, in the air and, um, you know, that was a time when they really were wanting to open up. Um, and so I think it's just being present to the moment um, and creating that regular space and not trying to force it, not peppering them with questions, not having an agenda, just being present to them in that moment and what their needs are in that moment. On your website, I noticed that you you have a parenting blog, some really interesting titles on there, like meltdowns and misbehavior and and why I yell at my kids. So um, so it sounds like you try to get real practical, real real with real situations. But um, I was kind of particularly intrigued by why I yell at my kids. What why do people 
typically yell at their kids and and I'm guessing that's not usually effective. Well, we yell at our kids, you know, in in the the foundation of why we yell at our kids all goes back to again how our nervous system can unconsciously affect our behavior. So we're feeling really frustrated because our kids not listening to us, you know, put your shoes on, turn off the video game. And nobody's listening to us and um so we try everything nothing works except yelling if we yell long enough and loud enough we're going to actually get their attention and so kind of like consequences and rewards parents will feel like it's the only thing that works but like consequences and rewards it's not the most effective way to respond and also, it's a missed opportunity to teach more effective skills. And so when we think about creating motivation for our child to listen and to cooperate, you know, we can think of, again, a, a more effect, an example of a more effective way to respond would be, uh, for example, to use humor. And we can do that both with our younger children and our older children. You know, with our younger children, we can, you know, if we're wanting them to get into their car seat and they're resisting, you know, we can say something silly like, oh my goodness, just don't don't get in the car seat. If there's one thing you do right now, do not get in that car seat. Um, or, you know- or reverse psychology. You, right. <laughs> yeah, like kids, young kids, um, well, all kids, but young kids in particular are not very good about going, you know, doing what they're supposed to do, but they're really good about having having fun. So when we can just remember, like, that's an option, you know, we can introduce some fun and play to create motivation. It doesn't always have to be, it doesn't always have to be so serious. And then that can also support everybody's emotional regulation when we um, introduce fun and play. Um, And, you know, with an older kid, we can do the same. You know, I would always say to my kids, you know, when they, uh, million examples, they left their coat on the chair, you know, I might say something like, Oh, I know this is like so much to ask. And I'm sorry, it's totally unreasonable. And it's just that the maid isn't here today. And if I, I know it's crazy, but if you would just it's just this once I, I know I'm being unreasonable. But if you just like, get, so give finally they grab the, grab the coat, so you'll stop talking. <laughs> Right, right, exactly, exactly. But again, it just it keeps the defenses down. It keeps everyone regulated. And again, when we're regulated, we're able to act as our best selves, you know. And then you're not always able to introduce humor. So we can also just think about what's a more effective way to communicate. And that can be, you know, that problem solving conversation that we already talked about. It could just be creating space for help them to help them understand, you know, why something's important to you. And again, starting with understanding what's important to them will, will create that help to create that buy-in or for our younger kids, you know, even just getting them to um, just communicating them with, with them in a little bit more of a creative way, we might say, um, you know, I might just ask them a question like, oh, um, you know, what do we put on our feet when it's raining? Or, you know, what is it that thing we do every day when we get home? Like when you just play, play dumb, I guess that you can kind of say that's play and humor as well, but it's more just getting them to um, think really. It's just encouraging them to answer the question and kids love to know the answer. So they want to jump in and they want to know the answer. Um, Or we could even say things like, oh, tell your feet to walk to the door. And it just (laughs) kind of gets them focused on telling their brain to tell their or to, you know, telling their feet to walk to the door, it kind of distracts them from <laughs> being what they're doing, right? Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So, just again, we can just get a, be a little more creative in, in how we communicate. Just a couple more questions. One on, on your website, 
you talk a little bit about a personalized parenting plan. Obviously, you've gained a lot of experience through all your training and research and just your personal experience, but situations can be different. Give us just an idea. Let's say I'm a parent that's come to you with a, a problem child or some challenging behaviors. What at a high level is the kind of process you would go through with us to create a personalized parenting plan? Yeah. So the way it would look like is that we would um, meet privately for a, a one hour in a Zoom session. And together we would create a plan that's customized for the big emotions and big behaviors happening in your home and what's a plan for how we can set everyone up for success in um, their emotional regulation and what, you know, what's a plan for what can you do in the moment um, when, you know, everybody's losing it and um, you know, how can we problem solve so that um, we create the changes that you're looking to create. And so I do this for two reasons. I offer a personalized parenting plan for two reasons. And oh, and I should add too, because I feel like this is something parents uh, really uh, appreciate, which is you also get the plan in writing. And that can be okay. so helpful because there can be multiple people that are caring for our child. And although I welcome partners and um, even a, a nanny or a grandparent to, to join the call, it's just not always practical. And sure. so it can be a tool for communicating to others that are caring for our child, you know, the plan that we've created. But again, I do this for two reasons. And one is because um, it's been my experience that when you take what you're learning and learn how to implement that in your own personal circumstances, it's what turns the learning into action that creates the positive change that you want. And also because what I really want to do is I want to turn the question from what's a parent coach to who's your parent coach. And the reality is, is that coaching, in most cases, coaches are offering plans that require a pretty big commitment of both time and money that can feel overwhelming to most parents. I know it would have felt overwhelming to me. And so a personalized parenting plan is an opportunity to get personalized one-on-one -on -one coaching in a way that feels really accessible in terms of time and in terms of cost. And then for those parents who do want ongoing support, I do offer something called the Sunflower Series, which is the opportunity to continue to meet with me um, when it's helpful so that we can continue to work on how to implement your personalized parenting plan in your everyday parenting challenges as they're arising. So maybe some time to reflect on what's working and maybe what's not or, or how they need to continue to progress in a certain area, I guess. Exactly. Yes. Okay. How, do, how do we need to tweak it for this particular situation or what's something new that's arising or what are we learning or what, what behavior patterns might be getting in your way that you're not seeing. So exactly. It's that opportunity to um, reflect together on how to continue to, you know, move towards the change that you're wanting to create. Absolutely. 
Well, I have really, I've really enjoyed ch chatting with you today, Laura. Um, I just have one more question. One of the reasons I created the podcast is to help people feel more comfortable in their living spaces, wherever that may be. I'm curious um, about what is it that makes them feel most at home? So what is it that makes you feel most at home? My my home is everything to me in that it's literally been the the foundation of my life since my children were born. And so I love all things home. I love creating a home that feels, you know, nice to be in the space. I love creating, you know, coziness and, and um, comfort. I love fires. I love dim lighting. I love creating, you know, clutter-free spaces. I love decorating. But all of that aside, the most important thing to me in home I always wanted to create a home that felt like a refuge for the people living in that home. And you think of a refuge as a, a safe space away from all that's going on in the outside world. But the truth is, is that you also want it to feel like a safe space for the people who are sharing the space. And so when we can learn to respond to conflict in ways that create connection rather than disconnection. For me, that's the most powerful way to create the home that I want. That's awesome. That's a great answer. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. And thanks for sharing all the, the insights that you shared with us today. If you're interested in learning more about Laura's coaching services, her blog, the personalized parenting plan that we talked about, you can check out her website at laurareardon.com. That's L-A-U-R-A-R-E-A-R-D-O-N.com. I'm including a link in the show notes and on our podcast website, homewhereyoubelong.com. Thanks again, Laura, so much for joining us. It was a pleasure to talk with you today. It was a pleasure to speak with you, and I appreciate the opportunity to do it. Thank you. Okay, listeners, thanks again for listening. And if you're enjoying the podcast, tell your friends about us. We want to help you continue experiencing that feeling of being at home wherever you are. So please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts and visit our website at homewhereyoubelong.com. Want to join in on discussions, ask questions, or share feedback and ideas? Join our Facebook group, visit us on Instagram, or send an email to chip at homewhereyoubelong.com. We'll see you next time. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.